0: We have uh, Frankenbergs are coming back. A passage of scripture from the book of uh, Romans, chapter seven, starting at verse thirteen. By the way, Toby, that wasn't—I really was blessed by your testimony. Thank you for that. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, that I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do that very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Let's stop there. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, Lord, we're grateful that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, opened up his heart and his transparency so we could see and he could reveal that which is very vulnerable to him. But he did so for our good and for our blessing. Open our heart, Father, to receive that and to, to be encouraged and, uh, and, and realize that your grace is greater than our own sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Uh, we have Paul bringing us, and we're in the middle of the, the doctrine of sanctification. That's where we are. Once uh, we were justified by faith in Christ, that is, we put our faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We have right standing with Him. The moment you believed in Christ, something happened. What was that? God began to change you. His Spirit began to work within you. And progressively, He's he's sanctifying you and, and making you more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the inward work of the Holy Spirit that we're looking at in this section of Scripture. We see that we're a holy people. And uh, that's where those of us who are professing faith in Christ, that's where we are today. We're, we're, we're a work in progress. We're, God's working in and through us, making us and conforming us into the very image of Himself. And that happens the moment you step into that very pathway by faith of, of trusting in Christ, that pathway of righteousness, because that begins a walk. That begins a work of grace in your life. And what God is doing at that point is He's doing a work, taking you as a new, a new saint, a sinner that's been forgiven, and now He's doing a work within you, so you are becoming progressively more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That's who you are today. And so chapter 7 raises a question, kind of a side question that Paul's dealing with. And that is, in light of all that Paul has said up to this point, what about the law of God, Paul? What about the law of God? You say we're not under the law, we're under grace. The law cannot save. We saw that. In fact, we saw in chapter 7, verse 7, that he defends the law when he said, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? If the law doesn't save, is it sinful? By no means. No, no, no. If it had been had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. So we see the law was given to us for diagnose, diagnostic purposes to really be able to identify our sin in our own heart. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so the law is not sinful. We saw We ended up last time with verse 12. So the law is holy. The commandments are holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. And so, now, so the law, the moral law of God can't save you. You can't keep it and be saved. The moral law of God, it can't even sanctify you. It can't make you more like Jesus Christ. It doesn't have the power to sanctify. Then what purpose does it serve in the life of a believer? Well, we saw for the unbeliever, and even for the believer as well, there's a diagnostic side of it where when when you open the law of God and you and you put your face in, in front of it, it's like a mirror that shows you your own sins, and uh, and, and and so that's that's the diagnostic purpose. Uh, the law is, is not sinful, but we see from his own life, from the life of the apostle Paul, it gave him a knowledge of sin and it opened up his heart to realize that he was a sinner. And you remember last time we saw what happened when the law comes to you, and. You have you have a flesh you're unconverted and, and and the law comes to you, and it just kind of revs up your heart and it revs up your flesh and makes you want to sin more whenever you're told no by God, your flesh rares up and says, "Oh yeah, let me show you yes i'm going to have it my way and that that's how the law works in in, in the life of of an unbeliever, so the, so the law comes in it, and it really stirs up more and more sin. But the law did not make the sin; the flesh did, the, 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 we did, and so we can't blame the law for that. It was doing its diagnosis in our hearts. So uh, Paul now turns uh, to the word of, of of the law, and he applies it to the life of a believer. So we saw the law in in, in Paul in the area of being an unbeliever, but now we're seeing the law in relationship to a believer. And again, he's still speaking autobiographically. He's still giving us a picture of his own life, his own heart, his own battles that he's going through as an apostle. And we realize the law cannot save, and uh, it cannot sanctify. And uh, the the problem is is we still sin. We're going to talk about that. This passage we're going to spend two weeks on looking at because it is so helpful to us in our sanctification. I'm just going to introduce the, the passage today. If we're going to progress uh, in our Christian life, it's essential that you know who you are. Uh, that's where I think a lot of us go astray in our, in our sanctification because we really don't know who we are. We know we're Christians, right? We say, Yeah, I'm a Christian. But who are you as a Christian? What's what's happened to you since God saved you? How are you different? How are you the same? What's going on in your heart? And uh, we know we've been justified by faith. As a Christian, you're here. You know you're forgiven of your sins. You you, you know that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But now what? Who are you today? What's going on in your life today? And... uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? Can I be forgiven and act worldly and just go on, act like I used to act before I was saved? Does sin, sin just doesn't change. It's still there all the time. Or, or, or does God just snap His spiritual fingers and it all goes away and I'm, I'm now a saint and I no longer sin anymore? Is that who I am as a Christian? I don't know about you, but uh, I look at my life. And I'll be as transparent as Paul is being with us. And I see sin regularly in my life. And hopefully you are not so deceived that you don't see sin regularly in your life. You know, I I thought, there was a time where I thought the moment that I trusted in Christ, that sin would be, especially the desire to sin, would go away. Um, I remember sitting in a, when I was a young pastor in my 30s, I was sitting in a, in a deacon's meeting, and uh, I, these guys were all my age now. You know that's how old they were then. And, and so here I'm a young, young pastor. and I said, "Hey, hey guys, I got a question. Let's be a little transparent tonight. Is there an age you guys arrive at where, or arrived at where the lust, sexual lust came to an end in your life? And they all dropped their heads and looked at each other. He said, if so, it hasn't happened yet. And I realized as a young man, I'm thinking, my word, is this normal? Is this Christianity? I mean, we, don't we ever get to the point where there's this victory in all these areas of our Christian life? I mean, I thought the moment I trusted in Christ that the battle for sin would be over with it was won at the cross, that God would somehow again snap His fingers and, and, and divinely and powerfully take sin away from me. But it didn't happen that way in my life. In fact, I'll tell you what, it seemed worse. Because when I was sinning as an unbeliever, I was just sinning. And I didn't feel the guilt of it. I just went about my life and and did my thing as an unbeliever. And then the grace of God came. When the grace of God came and He saved me, now there's still sin there, but now I feel guilty about it. And I feel even more guilty than I did before. And and I want to cry out to God, God. I I thought I was a Christian. I thought you saved me from my sins. And now I'm doing the very things that Jesus Christ died for on the cross on my behalf. Let's go back to the last week for those of you who are with us. Resurrection Sunday. You know, resurrection Sundays are always a glorious Sunday. Uh, following a a grand celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I can remember some of the hymns that we sang together and the opening hymn of uh, the rousing of of John Wesley, that Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. Maybe you greeted uh, Les Hunt over here last Sunday and and wished him uh, resurrection greetings uh, last Sunday we're here all together worshiping and praising the resurrected God. Well, God decided that on Monday he would take Les Hunt home and bring him into the very, his very presence. He's not here today. And the battle for him for holiness is over with. He's now in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not struggling like we are, wondering, what, who are we? Where's the victory in our life? I mean, the victory's been won in his life, but here we are today, and we're asking ourselves, well, wait a minute, where's our victory? And we'll miss less, but for those of us who are left behind, I don't know about you, but I I feel at times a disconnect in my heart between I know who I am and what Christ has done and what am i experiencing in my Christian life. I know some of you that were here and just praising God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, full of joy, and we just, it was a great fellowship time, and, and then we left, right? We, left, we went through the doors, and we went out into our lives for, the, for, for last week and started trotting through this world that, that we have to trot through week after week after week. We didn't transition into heaven like Les did. We were walking this, this, the soil for, for the last week. And I would say it's true of every one of us in this room or as believers in Christ. Where did we trod and what did we do? And we trod through a world where we were stumbling into sin over and over again just this last week. And perhaps you felt the, the sin of pride kind of just puffing up within you during the week from time to time. And you saw, oh, there it is again. Or perhaps... You hear the profanity roll off your lips that you've been just fighting and trying to stop. And there it was again. You heard it. And then that ongoing battle for sexual purity in your life and and, and there you you, you fought and it seems now it's still an ongoing battle. There there has yet to be a victory. Or that inward rage of anger that came up in your home. And uh, To your family, to your wife, to your husband, to your children. See, it's times like this in the Christian life when I'm jolted. When I find myself sinning, I'm jolted. And ask myself, am I a Christian? Do Christians do what I do? Do Christians think what I think? Do Christians say what I say? And so I'm jolted. And, and, and you might have been jolted. And, and then your response to being jolted is you lost assurance of your salvation. Here we are, probing the blessings of sanctification on the Lord's day. And what are we doing? Sinning. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about sanctification. We, we're listening to God speak to us about becoming more like Christ. And we leave and we go, what? And we sin. And that seems to be the pattern in my life. And I think it's probably the pattern in your life as a professing believer. We've seen the the circular repeat of sinning, repenting, purposing not to sin again, sinning, repenting, purposing not to sin again, And feeling like some kind of a spiritual, you know, schizophrenic in your life, wondering what's going on, am am I saved? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to be answering from today's passage and over the next couple of weeks. And I hope this passage today sheds just a little bit of light to encourage you today. Because Paul's going to bring the surprising answer from his own life. Even that's amazing. You know, as you grow in your faith, you have you have learned. Most of you, I think, have learned, I hope, that if you're a Christian today, you're in a war. You know that? We're not talking about Ukraine. We're talking about right here, spiritual warfare right here in the heart. And so you maybe you didn't sign up for that when you became a Christian, but you didn't enlist. But that's that's where you find yourself today, in a spiritual war. And we're going to discover this morning that this is normal. This is normative Christianity. This is ongoing. There is a war. There's no ceasefires in this war. It's a war with sin. that's going to rage in your life until the day, like Les Hunt, you entered in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just the way it's going to be. That's the life. That's normative Christianity as evidenced by an apostle. The war with sin that's going to rage in your life until you close your eyes and you see Jesus face to face. This passage that we're looking at is one of the most well-known texts in all of the book of Romans, and it might be one of the most controversial texts in the book of Romans. Because it, here's the question, and that's all we're going to look at today. i it going to keep it short. Just one question. Is Paul describing himself in this text autobiographically as an unbeliever, a non-Christian? Is Paul describing himself in this text as kind of a middle-of-the-road carnal Christian? Or a third possibility is Paul describing himself here as a believer in Christ. And, uh, you know, we've been going through in our Sunday school class, I invite you to come join us, how to interpret the Bible. And we use this as an example today of how important it is to know verbs, to know what the Bible says. You know, you know, some of us, you know, had the dunks hats on, you know, in school, and you know, a verb and a noun. I had no idea, you know, diagramming on the blackboard. But now I realize how important. I wish I would have listened more carefully. Those verbs are for us to know. And I'll tell you why it's important because unless we have the right understanding of who Paul is in Romans chapter seven when he penned this. Unless we know the state of Paul, we will not have the full or right understanding of the doctrine of sanctification. And we'll definitely have a wrong application. So let's look at the first one. Was Paul a non-Christian when he wrote verses 13, 14, down through 20? We got your Bibles open. Okay, let's do a little Bible study here. Open your Bibles. Chapter 7, Romans And I want you to to look at the the verses that are there, starting at verse uh, 14. And I want you to ask yourself uh, who's Paul when he wrote these things? I mean, look, look, for example, at your Bible at verse 14. What does he say about himself? He's describing himself I'm of the flesh. 14b, I'm sold under sin. I thought we're no longer slaves to sin. There's nothing good in me. Verse 18. The Holy Spirit is, uh, by the way, the Holy Spirit in, who's in me is greater than, than, than he's in the world. So. But he says there's nothing good in me. I have a desire to do what, I, what is right, and, and, but not the ability to carry it out. Does that sound like a Christian to you? They have the desire to do what's right, and you just you don't carry it out verse 18 verse 19 the evil that I do not want I do I keep on doing does that sound like a Christian to you verse 24 and this is Paul crying out this wretched man that I am boy does that sound like a victory chant to you a Christian life the prosperous Christian life that I'm a wretched man? How could a man like that be saved? Well, that's the question. And where's the triumph? Where's the victory? Where's the transformation? I mean, it doesn't seem like the, the, the transformation comes till the next chapter. Now we're talking, now we're in another chapter. There we see uh, the great victory that we're going to look at right before the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. How could, how could a uh, believer speak of himself that way? So that's the argument. Well, you've got another view, kind of a middle view. Middle view is maybe, maybe Paul uh, was in between a Christian and non-Christian. <laughs> Is there such a thing? No. I'm glad someone went, huh? But think about it in the sense of maybe he was a carnal Christian. Maybe he's talking about himself as a carnal Christian. Uh, A Kind of a middle approach here. Now, the the short answer to that that, that possibility is there is no such thing. So that really would be, we don't have to explain it too much further than that. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. It's a modern invention. There are those who teach today, might even have some, some notes in some of the study Bibles that might teach uh, this modern invention. But it teaches that, uh, that you can believe in Jesus, you can be justified without being sanctified. You can simply believe in Jesus and be a carnal Christian and just live your life exactly the way you did before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not the description of a true Christian. You can't be justified, we saw already, without being what? Sanctified. So, uh, all who trust in Christ will, will trust in Him as Lord. All who trust in Christ will repent of their sins. All who trust in Christ will bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's going to be a change that takes place in the heart and the life of every believer. And so there is no such thing as a carnal Christian with that definition. And even if there was, it wouldn't be Paul because Paul was not a carnal Christian under that definition. He, he, he's the Apostle Paul. You know, he's a spiritually mature believer. So the third option is, could it be that Paul is describing himself, in spite of the language that we looked at, Paul is describing himself as a believer? Now hold on. Wait a minute, if, in case you've already made your mind up. There is this, this side of the argument. You can see why in Sunday school we've been learning how to interpret the Scripture because one of the things that we've been learning is is, uh, when you have a passage here and you you look at it, what does this mean? I mean, Paul's talking about himself like he's a non-Christian. This is what, or even a Christian, this is one passage where we need to take out our Bible and do a little Bible study on the language, specifically on the grammar. If we're going to properly interpret the Bible, we need to know about verbs, right? We talked about that today. And you don't need to know all the different possible tenses, especially in the Greek. But if you knew past, present, and future, if your homeschooling or if your public schooling got you that far, you're a long ways in understanding Scripture. Because what we see in chapter 7 is a dramatic shift in the tenses of Paul when Paul is describing himself up to this point up to up up to verse 14 in verses 7 through 13 look at look at that passage in your Bible 7 through 13 Paul is describing himself you'll notice in the what tense Sunday school past tense past tense verse 8 But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me, past tense, all kinds of covetousness. Verse uh, 9, I was once alive apart from the law. Sin came alive and I died, past tense. The very commandment, verse 10, that promised life proved to be death to me. Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity, it deceived me and, and through it it killed me, past tense. And so the law is holy, the law is, is, uh, the commandment is righteous and good. Now that's significant because it's in the past tense. Paul is describing himself in the past before he was what? Saved. He was describing himself as an unbeliever. That's who he was before Acts 9 conversion. And now when you come to verse 14 as you look at your Bible, you see, just a dramatic shift in tenses takes place. Now, all of a sudden, he's in the present tense. Verse 14, I am of flesh. Verse 15, I do not, I do, not do what I want. Verse 16, I, I agree with the law. 17, it's no longer I that do it. 18, nothing good dwells in me. Present tense. I do not do the good that I want to. I delight in the law of God, verse 22. And so these are all descriptives of Paul telling us his personal testimony. Because it's present tense, I believe very strongly that he's talking about himself as a believer here. This is a believer that's speaking to us. And it's a believer describing who he is as a believer. As we read through the the passage, we might be surprised that Paul is describing himself in kind of a conflicted state of being, like many of us might be. I know I should do this, but I'm doing that. I shouldn't do this, but I'm still going to do that. Oh, wretched man that I am. You see that he's a man who wants to do good. He wants to be obedient to Christ. Verse 15, 18, 19, 21. But in reality, he finds himself doing just the opposite. The very thing he hates, he does. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, is that your experience? I mean, I wouldn't think any of our experience is going to be better, more holy than the Apostle Paul. You might be thinking how it is that Paul could have been struggling with sin in his life. I mean, I always thought of people like John and Peter and Paul as like, you know, these are the big guys. These are the, uh, these are the saints. These are the, the apostles. These are the giants. These are holy men of God. And here's one that opened up his heart enough to show us what was really going on inside of him and the struggles and the conflict he was having, even as an apostle. I mean, you would think sin would be the last thing in their lives. Surely they didn't struggle with sin like I do. But praise the Lord, Paul is being very personal. Praise the Lord that Paul is being very transparent. He's giving us a glimpse of who he really is. Many of us would not even do such a thing in a, just to a church family that we know so well. Oh, why is he willing to put his heart on display before the whole world? Why is he willing to share these intimacies about his own failings, his own struggles to the whole world, all that might read Scripture? And here's the simple answer. He did it for you, for your sake, for your good. This is part of encouraging us in our our walk of sanctification. So that you might know that there's a battle going on, and you might understand what that battle's like in one man's life who opened up and told us about that battle. That you might know that your struggle with sin is not unique. Even the apostle Paul waged an inward war for holiness. And here's a man who knew the gospel so well that he penned it for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He penned the book of Romans, a man who walked in obedience to the point of being a martyr for the faith, a holy man of God who loved the law of God, filled with revelations from God as he penned much of the New Testament. And what did he do? Conflict of sin, battle of sin inside of his heart. So, by way of introduction this morning, welcome to the war. Uh, The inner conflict is raging in all of us. And it's an inward struggle. We're all in the fight. And what the, this is what the law does in the life of a believer. It shows us the inward battle, the inward sin. And I want you to know, and by way of encouragement, that you are not alone. And I want to encourage you not to be discouraged in your Christian life. This isn't a free pass to sin, by the way. We're not saying that. Uh, but it, it's not a life of defeat. It is a life of victory. And it's a progressive victory. We grow in grace. I just want to give you a sneak peek. Next, next well, maybe two weeks, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, Paul cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he ends with a triumphal note in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? And not only that, then then you turn it to chapter 8 and you're going right on into chapter 8 and you're going to see all kinds of victory and grace and blessing that comes from God. The more sensitive you are to the law of God, the more sensitive you're going to be to the sin that's in your life, the sin that's remaining. And you're going to feel that sense of conflict within the heart. But God's going to withhold a grand triumph until chapter 8. Might even get a, pic, a peek of that during the communion this morning. But next week, Paul will be bringing a clear understanding of the war, what this war is like, what causes it. We're going to see a lot of dimensions of the war within the heart. And by the way, it's a war with no with no pauses. It's, an, it's a war with no Easter ceasefires. It's a war that is progressively being won. It's one that will finally be, will be victorious over, but it's a conflict of the heart that we're going to experience for the rest of our lives. And, uh, and it's just evidence of the law of God and the work of grace that He's doing in our heart. As we close this morning, I'd just like to basically cause, call some of you who are here as unbelievers to enlist in the war. <laughs> uh, get involved in the war effort. Uh, You're going to be on the winning side if you enlist into this war. There's a Savior, there's a Lord who is there, who has laid down his life, who's sacrificed his life and shed his blood, that your sins, every one of you here today might be forgiven, wiped clean, slate wiped clean, and that you might be clothed in the white righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I pray that God would, by the Spirit, just open up your eyes and your heart to see that there's sin in your life. There's disobedience in your life. And The Spirit of God's great at just pointing it out, taking His finger and shaking you a little bit and bringing a conviction in your heart that you are a sinner and you need, you need to be saved. So I would come to you and call you to enter into the pathway of righteousness it isn't going to be, I'll, I'll be up front with you. It's going to be a, a life of battle on the inward heart. But come in. Trust Christ. Flee to Him. Repent of your sins. And they will all be forgiven. And you'll have the eternal delight of knowing not only your your Creator, but your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for speaking to us uh, through, this, through the life story of Paul, who would have ever guessed uh, as they saw Paul minister preaching in Acts 17 and, and, and being put in jail where he wrote much much of Scripture and discipling churches and individual Christians, that this was really going on in his heart. Oh, Father, thank you for him disclosing this to us, and may, it, may as we identify with his, his struggles, his inner conflict. we be encouraged to know that we're not alone. We're not sitting in a church where everyone else besides ourselves seems to have, have it all together because we're all on the same journey. You're doing the same work in your time. For that, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.